1: From Harbor Media, you are listening to Cultivated, a podcast about faith and work. And let me be clear from the beginning, I am not Mike Cosper. My name is Lachlan Coffee, and I have literally nothing to do with Harbor Media. Truth be told, Mike left his microphone on, and I just hit the big red button next to it labeled record. Okay, that's not entirely true. I am actually part of the team here at Harbor, and I am here today because Mike is actually working on a bunch of Harbor stuff right now, prepping for new episodes and more including the Alyssa Wilkinson episode he promised last week. But we are moving our release day, so the next regular episode of Cultivated will come out not on next Thursday, but rather on next Tuesday, December 13th. In the meanwhile, to hold you over, we are reposting an interview Mike did with Richard Clark at Christianity Today. Mike talks about why he started Harbor Media, what the goal of a show like Cultivated is and how his vision for Harbor fits into the bigger picture of Christians in the marketplace and Christians in a post-Christian world. And remember, if you want to help us with that goal, please go to harbormedia.com donate and throw in a few bucks. It's the end of the year and we are hoping to raise enough money to do another full season of this show and a full season of The Devil in the Deep Blue Sea, which if you haven't heard that Harbor Media pilot yet, question every decision you have made up until this point. So seriously, We would love your support of Harbor Media. Go over to harbormedia.com slash donate and help us keep making these shows and more. Meanwhile, enjoy this interview with Mike and Richard Clark, and we will be back on Tuesday morning with Alyssa Wilkinson.
2: I remember sitting in an interview with the reporter and somebody asked him point blank, hey, are you going to make this whole story about how we're evangelicals and, you know, we have traditional views about sexuality? And he was like, no, 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 I wouldn't do that to you. And the the front page of the newspaper said, uh, they're young, they're hip, and they think it's a sin to be gay.
0: calling my name is richard clark i am the online managing editor for christianity today today on the podcast i'm really happy to have mike cosper the director of harbor media harbor media has actually been responsible for two new podcasts that are out there you can go subscribe to them now one's called the devil in the deep blue sea the other is called cultivated i highly recommend you check both of them out they are unique to anything else out there in the christian podcast world that's for sure and the thing i like about Mike is that. He is realistic. His podcasts feel important and weighty and rooted in real stakes. The first episode of The Devil in the Deep Blue Sea sort of explains why that is. And then Cultivated is just like a lot like this podcast. In fact, it's stories of real people sort of working out what and how they're going to do in their lives. So it's mainly focused on faith and work. A little different from this show in certain ways I'll let you discover, but I highly recommend checking it out. I talked to Mike in particular about cultural engagement, about the arts and imagination, and I really enjoyed it. One of my favorite things to talk to with him about, though, were podcasts um, because, hey, I'm interested in podcasts. I don't know if you realize that. Podcasts provide this opportunity. If you can get people to listen to your podcasts, you can get them to listen to you, period right? That is one thing that I, this is why I was inspired to sort of create Christianity Today podcast, because it creates a posture in the person who is consuming it. That is, I think, definitely different than the web browser, the person who's browsing the web, and um, possibly uh, markedly different than A reader or a a person watching a film, though I think pretty similar. There's definitely like a a sense in which they are a captive audience. It's a really intimate thing. And hopefully over time, your listener sort of gets to know you and assume assume the best about you and that sort of thing. Um, I know I've had that experience with podcasts myself. And so that's why I love making them and I love listening to them. Anyway we talked about a lot of other things. I'll give you a heads up in the next, uh, not next, but in the March issue of Christianity Today, we've got a really good big deal cover piece on how Christians should engage culture. And I think it's, uh, you know, that conversation has changed uh, certainly since the election. I think we could have seen the writing on the wall for a while, but Christians uh, in some ways are in more and less power than we thought. Anyway, that whole idea, we'll have a cover story dedicated to it. In the March issue of CT, you're going to like it. You're going to be interested. So you might as well go over and subscribe. Go to orderct.com slash calling. You'll get it for $10. That's a good deal. If you missed our Black Friday sale, if you missed our Cyber Monday sale, guess what? You can get almost the same deal. It's very similar, costs the same. It is a year of CT for $10. And if you do subscribe to CT, you'll be supporting Thoughtful Essential Journalism, which is ever more important these days. And you'll be helping us to continue to produce episodes of The Calling every week. Here's the interview with Mike Cosper. I hope you enjoy it. The Mighty Boosh. I feel like I should have seen that.
2: It's a it's a British comedy sketch show, and it is bizarro. A sketch show? Yeah, it's good.
0: What is um, your favorite like Netflix
2: exclusive thing? I mean, I was, uh, the one that meant the most to me, but also disappointed me, was Arrested Development Season 4.
0: That was terrible. It wasn't
2: terrible. I'm sorry, it was terrible. No, no, it wasn't terrible. It just did not live up to Seasons 1 through 3. Man. <laughs> but it has its moments. I, we went back and rewatched it recently. Okay, maybe. On second viewing, yeah. giving it a little bit of grace yeah. and lowered expectations. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Oh, but no, no, I, that's totally wrong. Uh and, and Kimmy Schmidt, Kimmy Schmidt is, some, Kimmy of the, Schmidt is good. some of the best writing. I'm generally more of a comedy person. My wife is too. When I have time, so she doesn't watch a lot of dramas, mm-hmm. and so I watch those on my own. Yeah, which typically means keeping up with like the HBO stuff.
0: Mike um, Cosper. We're here with Mike Cospert. What's your title right now?
2: I'm the director of the Harbor Institute for Faith and Culture. Okay. Um, We'll be launching harbormedia.com, and that's where all of our real content will be. So
0: the two things that people listening to this need to know is that I'm recording on your really fancy studio equipment. So the second thing people need to know, it's 7.30 in the morning, and I'm not used to doing these at 7.30 in the morning. All right, so the first question we always ask people is how would you define your calling?
2: I think for me, my my sense of calling more and more is around helping Christians. I mean, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing right now is I feel I feel very called to helping Christians navigate a culture that's increasingly post-Christian. You know, secular. Uh, everybody hates the word postmodern, but there's something to it because secularism isn't quite right. It's it's almost neo-paganism in in. Funny ways, but so I actually like the term postmodern because it's it's sort of anti-modern and there's certain things about it that are very irrational, but it's also secularized in a lot of ways, very materialistic kind of things. Anyway, I feel called to help Christians navigate that, and doing that through writing and teaching and podcasting.
0: What is it about podcasting that serves as like a good way of doing that?
2: I think there's a I think there's a big demographic in in Christian culture in, in terms of like Christian people who are underserved might be the word in Christian media, not because they don't have access to stuff, but they don't have time. Um, so they're not, you know, as we've looked at like Christian Christians in the marketplace in particular, um, we kind of hear these consistent themes, limited time, don't have time to read a lot of stuff. It's hard to find stuff that really applies to to them. Um, but then they listen to a ton of podcasts. They listen to you know, all the NPR shows and Gimlet Media. And if they do have time to read, they go to sites where they know exactly what it is they're going to get. So it's often stuff related to their work, whether it's CNN or Wired or, you know, Fast Company or whatever, whatever yeah. that might be. So anyway, so podcasting for us feels like a, a window, uh, an open door to try to attract folks like that and to speak directly into the world of Christians who are in the midst of a, a marginalizing, pressured place.
0: Yeah, you're someone who's written a lot about... Story and art, and um, and what? So, what role does that have
2: in what you're doing now? The way to the heart and the way to real life change is through the imagination and is through story. And so, I'm less interested in you know, and this this might be sort of taken as a sin in evangelicalism, but I'm less interested in kind of didactic teaching and more interested in uh, storytelling because I think I think I think storytelling is way more identifiable. And so when we talk to people about faith and work, it really comes down to, I mean, I start every interview with, tell me how you grew up, tell me what your family's like, and sort of tracing, tracing people through how they, I mean, this is probably in a similar way to what you're doing, how they found themselves and their vocations, and how they found themselves to be passionate about the things they're passionate about. Somebody, I don't remember who it was, I've heard it a million times, but somebody said all theology is autobiography in some ways. And I think all vocation is really oftentimes determined by things that happen when we're young. And so I think that's identifiable for people in the marketplace. And I think there's a lot of anxiety in the marketplace around calling. And so by telling stories, I think that helps. Likewise, one of the other shows we're going to launch this fall, probably later in the fall, is called The Devil in the Deep Blue Sea. And that'll be a a much more sort of high production, almost like a documentary style, you know, this American lifestyle show that tells the stories specifically of Christians experiencing either marginalization or of cultural phenomenon that show you know what comment magazine calls like the cracks in the secular again i think storytelling is a is a much better way to help people understand because it gets it gets to the heart faster and it also it's just it's just illustrative it's just like giant illustrations do
0: you think this is something i think a lot as a person who does a similar type thing with this podcast do you think there's a danger in talking about theology as personal narrative as story and do you think there's sort of a tension between, actually, we believe this stuff because it's true, because we read it in the Bible, because it, you know, there are evidences for it. There, this is all very, like, modernist, right? Right. And then there's this postmodern thing that's happening where a lot of people don't believe these things because of personal narrative, because of things that have happened to them, because of the ways they, they were raised. Right. And they would just look at us and say, yeah, that's great for you. So how do you address that problem?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, a, definitely a problem with that. You know, I, I think of like Charles Taylor's phrase, the ethics of authenticity. That we live in this age where the only ethic that governs and that's sort of universally accepted is uh, you have to be true to yourself. You have to be authentic to yourself, and so, so there is there there are problems with um, that way of looking at theology. To me, it's like. Theology in particular and Christianity as a whole is sort of this prismatic thing. There are all these different angles on, on any doctrine, on any idea. Not any one of them should trump all of the others. The historicity of Christianity really, really matters. The power of tradition really, really matters. But at the same time, things like you know, always you know, a value like always reforming, always sort of re-examining, you know, questioning tradition, all of that. That stuff really matters. So does personal narrative. I like it as an approach, and in particular because of the way we're we're doing it, you know, and and the stories we're the kind of stories we're telling right now. It's it's great to dive into the stories of people whose journeys have allowed them to sustain their faith and sustain, you know, traditional and orthodox beliefs. Um, I think the the beauty of the Christian tradition as a whole, and the way it's really countercultural, is that it does demand. You know, it demands submission to uh, first off God, but then second off to his word. And, and that's the filter through which we need to, to read our stories. But, you know, the, the curious sort of mysterious thing is you can't read scripture and you can't try to understand theology in a vacuum. It's always, our knowledge is always con- contingent on our experience. And so the way we understand what is grounded and certain is through a lens which is subjective and uncertain. And so there's, there's, there's some paradox there. And I think people's personal stories help to sort of illuminate that. I'd also say it's the reason community is so important. In the case of people who wander away from the faith or who find themselves you know, moving away from traditional beliefs and, with regard to sexuality and other things, the role of community should help guard that. But often people's experience of community doesn't function that way. The church doesn't function with, you know, with discipline that says, hey, well, let's correct that. Let's talk about this let's let's lay things out and submit your story and your preference to you know to 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 the scriptures. I love Keller's line on that where he says if you have a god who never disagrees with you, you probably don't have a god. You're probably worshipping an idealized version of yourself. A
0: lot of Christians I know have had stories that take those turns that often should push them away from the faith. They have moments that have evidence, personal narrative sort of evidence against their faith. So things that have happened to me, things that have happened to a lot of people you're interviewing, like a lot of those people shouldn't be Christians in terms of the tendency of the age, right? They should have come into into those moments and said, I am clearly not cut out for this. But something sustained them. And that's what intrigues me about those stories. It's like, what was it? And it, a lot of times it's community, but ultimately, like, what was it under God's sovereignty that caused them to stay there?
2: It's always interesting to me, too, I can think of two right off the top of my head, but it's always interesting to me, uh, as we've done some of these interviews, when you hear somebody who's like, I grew up, you know, the youth group kid, sort of the president of the youth group, I did everything, I was at church all the time when I was a kid. The super popular narrative right now with millennials and with, you know, Gen Xers or whatever I mean I feel like last year there were probably six memoirs published that sort of told that story. I was the youth group kid and now I'm not. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's always it's always refreshing to me to hear somebody say I grew up in a Christian home. I was raised in the church and I'm so thankful for that. You know, my faith in God has not wavered. You know, sure I've been through hard times, but I still I'm still thankful for that and I still believe that, which gives me hope as a parent that like well maybe Maybe trying to educate my kids and immerse them in the world of the kingdom of God isn't going to backfire on me, and they're going to write some memoir about how much they hate me and my, their upbringing when they're 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when
0: was it that you became aware of this calling?
2: One of the shows we're developing for, for this fall tells some of that story, and it, it started for me in probably about 2008. Sojourn, where I'd served as a pastor, where I still a- attend church, Sojourn had launched a, an art center in 2006. And it was a music venue and art gallery space and studio spaces. And for about two years, things went really well. The city really, we, we had great partnerships in the city. And, you know, it was a common good effort, we weren't necessarily showing Christian art or hosting Christian bands, but it really was a way to sort of open the doors to the community and say, hey, what we have as, a, as far as resources we want to share and et cetera. So, you know, we partnered with the local public radio station. We brought in all these shows. And then about two years in, local weekly newspaper did a story on us. This reporter spent a few days with us and 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 we just had a bad feeling, you know, because it's a super lefty yeah uh, it was the Leo. It was the Leo, yeah, yeah, yeah. super lefty paper. And I remember sitting in an interview with the reporter and somebody asked him point blank, hey, are you going to make this whole story about how we're evangelicals and, and you know we have traditional views about sexuality? And he was like, no, 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 no. I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> and... Uh, and we were, you know, we were suckered and the, the front page of the newspaper said uh, they're young, they're hip, and they think it's a sin to be gay. How does Sojourn Square its, you know, progressive image with its regressive ideas?
0: So two thirds was about how you're young and
2: hip. <laughs> That's the good news. That's the good news. And the, I mean, it was just a skewering. It was just an absolute skewering of us. And what it did was it didn't send our partners away. The radio station stuck with us, different people stuck with us, but it, it, it woke up the activists in the city, and what they did was they would they would begin whenever we booked an artist. They would direct their protests at the artist. Don't play there. Don't play there. You know they're bigots. They they hate gay people. Uh, they're just proselytizing. All this all the stuff that just was not true. And and if you ever came to a show at the 9:30 the the art center, you knew it wasn't true. But after about two years of them spamming the people that we would try to bring in. The crowds dwindled, and we had to sort of transition away from that kind of an approach to focusing more on Christian art and Christian artists who wouldn't be frightened away from that. And it, it was a it was a big loss. And so, for me personally, I ended up having this big, a uh, fairly lengthy back and forth in the Leo, uh, they, where they published you know my letter to the editor and, and a back and forth with the with the reporter. It woke me up to two things. One was. I really was passionate about trying to make the case for and, and I wouldn't have known this word for it or wouldn't have used this word for it but but for pluralism for we've got to make space in in culture to disagree with one another. And it woke me up specifically to the fact that for progressives that's not a good option. Hmm. They're not happy with that. And then the second thing the second thing it did for me was I think it just stirred a passion in me for these kind of questions and issues that over the years has continued and you know as as recently as just a couple of years ago I began to kind of, a lot of what I've done related to to worship uh, as a worship pastor has been this sort of focus on the imagination and the heart and the way that worship needs to be cultivating the affections and be acknowledging the dark side and the tragic side of life. And you do that through beauty, you do that through story, you do that through worship and liturgy. What I began to realize is there needs to be kind of a cultural formation that functions in the same way through storytelling, through, through creativity. And those things have started to come together in the vision that I have for Harbor and for trying to, to serve Christians in those ways.
0: The first thing you said, the sort of expectation you had that you would uh, reach out to your community through sort of a pluralistic approach. That's a tension that I think a lot of us don't acknowledge. We want to sort of bear down on one side or the other. We want to either say culture is coming to get us, or we want to say, uh, no, it's fine. And I think like I'm this way. This is where I lean. And I think I'm curious your viewpoint on this, if you lean this way anymore. Because you had an experience where you were literally like heart was in the right place. You wanted to reach out to your community and enrich it. And literally because of like who you were, you were unable to do that. You were shut down essentially by the community. That is a story that is a little scary to people who are out there as Christians just trying to do good work. This is something we tell Christians all the time, like by we, I mean like people like us. We tell people all the time like this is how you do it. You go out, you be winsome, you be artful, you do good work and people will respect that. But that's clearly not the case. I mean, all the time at least.
2: Yeah, it's not the case all the time. My favorite example of somebody who who endured that and thrived is a guy named Rick DeVos who founded this thing called Art Prize in Grand Rapids. Basically it was this it was this idea that said, "Hey, let's turn let's turn all of Grand Rapids any public space in Grand Rapids an office, a restaurant, a bar, whatever, let's turn it into an art gallery for like a week and we'll invite, you know, invite people to come in and they download this app and they can vote for their favorite, you know, their favorite works. And whoever gets the most votes at the end of this week, or however long it is, um, is going to get a $250,000 prize. So it attracted real artists, and it attracted a lot of tourism. The first year was a huge success, so successful that all the restaurants in downtown Grand Rapids ran out of food. Massive common good, right? And massive flourishing for the city, revenue, etc. Um, and, and in a really, really concrete way, you know, and then, you know, within a year or two, there were some news stories that were written that, oh, well, this guy, Rick DeVos, he's part of this family, the DeVos's, and they're, they're you know, they're Republicans and they're, they fund, you know, conservative, you know, conservative stuff about marriage and abortion and all of this. So they're really these bad guys. And this whole art prize thing is just sort of a, I, I don't know exactly the the way that it was phrased, but it was, it was a hit piece. I mean, there was one in GQ that was very clearly a hit piece, and had all this w- sort of weird conspiratorial stuff about the devosses in it. But Art Prize goes on, you know, and and is sponsored by a number of large companies in Grand Rapids who see the good in what's what's there, and haven't let the fact that you know Bible believing evangelicals are attached to it or helped to found it. So there's there's ways to in, endure this stuff, and there are people who come out on the other side of it, you know, and thrive. Um, but I do, th- I mean, it is going to get harder and harder. And if, uh, we keep losing ground on religious liberty stuff on free speech stuff and things like that, the coercive power of the state can get really frightening. And so part of the reason I want to do what I'm doing is to, is to help number one, encourage people stick with it, not just stick with it, but work harder and do better work. And then the other thing is, is to wake them up to, to the dangers, uh, of what it is. Cause I think... I think the reason Art Prize thrived is there was no questioning how good it was for the city, and so for Christians in the marketplace, there's a lesson there. If you're if you're genuinely contributing to the flourishing of a city and, and a community, it's really hard for people to push you out. And so do good work and work really hard and value the value your city, but also be be aware of of what time it is, you know, and be thinking about, you know, be be concerned and and lift your voice up, you know. I think. I think the pressure is going to get to a point where more and more Christians will sort of have to face this point of crisis where they say, do I follow my conscience or do I do I cave to keep things sort of quiet and comfortable for myself? Um, and the more that Christians cave on their conscience, which is happening all the time, the harder it gets for all of us.
0: The so- sort of solution to your problem personally has been, uh, and sort of the way that you awoke to this calling, was to to take the approach of, sort of a more what how would you put this a more like subtle cultural change approach mm-hmm. you're trying to to start like this podcast thing through narrative mm-hmm. so that people you're you're sort of like reinforcing this idea
2: yeah I, I think so i mean andy crouch you know says if you want to change culture make culture mm-hmm. and that's kind of part of this for me you know my goal for for what we're doing with harbor and harbor media is on one hand to make it a little easier for Christians in the marketplace to to hang on to their beliefs and and follow their consciences when it comes to their convictions. But the flip side of this is I think, I don't think any Christian media exists in a vacuum. I think non-Christians are reading it all the time and, and paying attention to it in various ways. And as well, I mean, progressive Christians are pushing just as hard as secularists against evangelicals and conservatives. And so my goal with some of this kind of storytelling approach, you know, obviously again to serve the Christians that are in the in those places, but then to sort of be an advocate and and to make it a little more plausible to consider evangelicals something other than an enemy that needs to be silenced and, and marginalized.
0: Is there an overarching thing that sort of covers both what you're doing now and what you're doing then?
2: I like it when I was at when I was on staff at Sojourn. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. So, so right now, Harbor Media is, I mean, I'm literally working out of a closet at a, you know, one of our church campuses. And I don't say that as a complaint. It's kind, of, it's kind of fun to be starting fresh. And I do have Mark, the engineer, with me this week helping me out. But um, the long-term vision for this is definitely related because what I loved about my work at Sojourn was to be able to, to work alongside a whole bunch of artists a bunch of musicians, a bunch of visual artists, and bring them together in a community and to do work together. And because I think I think creativity flourishes in community, and you know artists make one another better at what they do. So long term, if this has value and people see that value, and and frankly we can get the funding as a result of it, I'd love to see Harbor be sort of a community of contributors and and storytellers and and sort of traditional you know thinker columnist types who are who are doing analysis that in sort of the news and culture that Christians in the marketplace would like you know could be served by so yeah long term I'd love to see this be a community so uh,
0: yeah so community and the like artistic community is something that you've been passionate about for yeah. a while it seems like
2: yeah and I love trying to help creative people understand their calling and understand their own work and to help them go on a journey where they where they learn to do those things better and better.
0: In the time that you've been writing and thinking about art, was there ever a time when you doubted that that was something you needed to prioritize or focus on?
2: I think artists in the church are are often treated like second class citizens. Oh, that that creative stuff that you do, like that's cool, but you know, music is really the appetizer and the sermon's the main meal. You know, we're just as modern as as anybody. I mean, evangelicalism is a very modern movement in the sense that it it. It emphasizes the the rational and the propositional in a really strong way, you know, and I don't want to dismiss those things, but I think we can do a better job of of um, doing spiritual formation for the whole person and that's why you need creative people in your community, creative people who who share your rational pop, propositional beliefs, but who express them in ways that that touch on the imagination and the heart a bit more. Um, but being immersed in a in a culture where that isn't like that isn't necessarily a super common value.
0: Seminary culture is what you're talking about, right?
2: <laughs> well, it's it's bigger than seminary culture. Okay. Cause I mean, I would even look at like I would even look at at big mega church culture that that does creativity pretty well or that that emphasizes it pretty well. There's still this sense that like, well that's just the, you know, that's just the musician guy. You know, he's yeah. He's just again. He's just he's just teeing things up so that the real juice, you know, right, right. Uh, can come come at us from the sermon. And so it's bigger than just seminary culture, but certainly, you know, certainly sem- I mean, that's what seminaries do is they they emphasize the rational, the propositional. In in a lot of contexts, there's such a lack of emphasis on habits and practices. And again, I think creative people can help us find windows into habits and practices. If there's one thing we can know from the last 50 years of evangelicalism is that having the right ideas does not mean that your soul is changed and that you are mm-hmm. looking more and more like Jesus. Yeah. And to prove it, just find a list of pastors who've fallen. They all had the right ideas. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, But their, their spiritual formation... Did not go to a deep enough level that they were prepared for temptation and conflict and other things. and you know, and that's a terrifying thing for me, even as a pastor. like so it's another aspect of what we want to do with with harbor for again, for Christians in the marketplace is to help them find windows into habits and practices that can can help them um, more and more conform to the image of Jesus.
0: How long have you been a christian?
2: i um I walked in Nile when I was eight years old. okay. I was baptized by Ed young Jr in 1989 in uh, Houston, Texas. I I don't discount that that early faith at all. Like I really I really did believe in Jesus and I really did believe he died for me. My faith really awakened when I was 15 years old and okay. that's when it became something that was really meaningful to me.
0: One thing I'm trying to flesh out is what sort of faith background you come from, what sort of denominational experiences you had and how those how you, what your feeling is of how those Helped or hindered your calling towards the artistic community thing? So Reformed Baptists, which I think Sojourn is, not known for being the most artistic <laughs> in the world, right? Right. And we're improving on that, but I think
2: everyone is sure evangelical, sure. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up a Reformed Baptist. Um, mm-hmm. We were my my family were we were definitely Southern Baptists when I was little. Yeah. Um, when we moved to the Louisville area in uh, around 1990. Uh, some, somewhere around there, um, my parents looked for an SBC church because that was their their value and their tradition, but didn't find a didn't find a home um, in one. And so we ended up joining a non denominational Christian church. And again, around that 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 age when I was about fifteen, um, I got really invested in in a couple of different ministries at that church, the youth ministry and the music ministry. And I had a mentor, a wonderful guy named Mike Frazier, who started handing me books, you know, started handing me Richard Foster and, and Dallas Willard and Henri Nouwen and uh, Thomas Merton. And, you know, and that, that sort of, that spiritual formation literature does have a value for aesthetics and for beauty and all of those things. And, you know, I was a kid who, I played guitar, I loved comic books, I loved to draw, I loved pop culture, but I, I was drawn to art, though I didn't know what that meant, you know. And so for me, that sort of spiritual formation, that season of my life where I was really immersed in those books and mentored by a guy who valued those things and and playing music and all that, it all just sort of, I think, congealed in this love for creativity and love for artists. And part of the reason, you know, part of what, what the DNA of Sojourn really was, um, Sojourn Church, when we planted in 2000, it was a church full of creative people who'd never quite felt at home in church and wanted a, wanted a community that had some shared values around those things. So you know, and for, and frankly, like Reformed theology came later to me. I was not convinced. I mean, I was, when I was, when I was 1920, I was very seriously considering um, becoming a Roman Catholic and, and a big part of what drew me to Catholicism was, was the aesthetics.
0: So how has this calling, as you've been working it out, how has it changed you as a person?
2: I mean, off the top of my head, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's. I would. I would say it's. It's the other way around. Like my. My. My journey and the way, the way I've changed as a person has sharpened my sense of calling and redirected my sense of calling. If that makes sense. Yes. Um, and so I mean the change. The change for me sort of came from, um, you know, in the past couple of years in particular, as Sojourn has grown. You know, it's a, It's a church of four thousand with four locations, and my role in pastoring artists became more and more about. Leading and managing this, you know, this ministry of a couple hundred people playing music and and doing work at at these various campuses, and it was very demanding in an administrative way, and I, I became more and more re- removed from the actual like creative work. And I I thank God for those seasons. I learned so many lessons in those those multi site years is kind of the way I think of them. But part of the lesson that I learned in that was. I have to have my hands on the creative side and on whether that's writing or like this sort of storytelling piece and And so the clarification of that, I guess that the self-awareness that came on the journey in the last couple of years related to that has has reshaped my sense of calling as much as anything.
0: yeah what what is your biggest fear in working out this calling?
2: Um, <laughs> that no one will listen to it, and I'll be looking to, for a job in uh-huh. uh, in eighteen to twenty four months.
0: That's a real thing. Like, that's a real thing. I like mean, that's the, the risk. That's the fear that what you're called to do, there's no demand for.
2: No. Yeah, I know
0: that. I know that fear.
2: Yeah. Seth, Seth Godin uh, has this great quote, and he says, "If you want to succeed in business, uh-huh. find something that people want and sell it to them." Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Easy.
2: And so with, with, a ministry like, with a ministry like this that we're trying to start, um, I believe there's a real need here, and I believe that people will respond, and I believe that the resources can come from a variety of places to, to not just scrape by, but actually, hopefully, to, to build this community and, and to attract some creative people who want to do this kind of storytelling and who, who want to work really hard and create something that's excellent. And that's helping, you know. But yeah, I mean, the biggest fear related to it is maybe you're just reading this whole thing wrong. And then I think as well, you know, to do the kind of work that we're doing, if if it does succeed, it puts, you know, like any major publication, I mean, I wrote for TGC and I still write for them, um, the Gospel Coalition. Um, I wrote for them a lot in a window where I was doing, you know, sort of film, reflections on films and TV and stuff. And the ire uh, that that would draw yeah. from both people on the sort of far right, fundamentalist extreme, and then non-Christians who, you know, would hate when I would read, you know, sort of spiritual themes into non-Christian movies. You know, it makes me very aware that when you are, on, you know, when you have a public platform, there's a big target on your head. And the more we're, we're talking about the pressures of secularism and sexuality and all these things, it puts a target on our head.
0: Yeah. One thing that's nice, though, about what you're doing with podcasting is, as opposed to the other things you've done, including writing and promoting shows and putting on shows people typically like when they engage it they have to have a posture of listening they have to hear you out you become humanized right in front of them they really have to engage with the ideas and the person that they're right. talking about as opposed to like if you write an article for a website they're gonna read the headline and get mad <laughs> if you're lucky they might you read mean, it after that you
2: mean people don't read uh, the full article no they don't
0: <laughs> oh man not as a general rule <laughs> If you're lucky, they'll yeah. they'll skim it or read the whole article. But for the most part, like you know, yeah. they're gonna read the article and get read the
2: headline and get mad. One, one of my favorite experiences as a writer was um, I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called "The Stories We Tell About TV and Movies." And when that happens, your publishers sort of reach out to different you know media outlets and say, "Hey, this book is coming out. Do you want to talk to this author?" And so I got booked on probably five different radio shows, Christian radio shows all over the country to do interviews about the book. And with one exception, one exception, I am a hundred percent certain that that not only did they not read the book, which I wouldn't expect for from a lot of radio shows, but they didn't even like skim a summary, read the back of the book, look at the table of contents. Yeah. Because the book is about, you know, the book covers like Quentin Tarantino films and the Coen brothers and <laughs> uh, you know, The Wire, HBO's The Wire and Dexter and Mad Men and all these things. The questions I got on almost most of the shows were about the Duggars and Duck Dynasty and Fireproof and you know all these Christian movies. So weird. Which I frankly, I've never watched. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I eventually went back to the publicist at the publisher and said, listen, unless you can assure me that, that they're going to be familiar with the content, I'm not doing these anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I did one, and I wish I knew the name of it offhand because there was a woman who hosts this radio show and it was a it was one of the most fun engagements. She was brilliant. If she hadn't read the book, she had definitely done her homework. It felt like she'd read the book because she she just brought up example after example from the book. And that was really fun. But again, just totally the exception.
0: If you could get into a time machine, go back in time, step out of that time machine, and talk to yourself, what would you tell him?
2: I think there were some factors in my life when I was a kid that made me that made me think that creativity was second rate some things related to church culture, some family dynamics. The fact that when I was young, you know, when I was like an elementary kid and I was good at math and good at science and that sort of thing. And so when that happens, people tell you, oh, you should follow that trail, you know, be a doctor, be an engineer, do do this, that, and the other. And I wanted to be an artist, you know, I wanted to draw, I wanted to paint, I wanted to play music. And and so there were some factors that made me nervous about those things. And I would want to sit down with my 7th or 8th grade self and say don't let people push you into something that you don't really love and you know you should pursue the things that you do really love you know take more art classes and play more guitar.
0: You've been listening to The Calling. Mike Cosper is the director of Harbor Media, which has produced two new podcasts that you should go and check out. The Devil in the Deep Blue Sea is the name of one and Cultivated is the name of the other. You can follow Mike Cosper on Twitter at Mike Cosper. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. I can't stress this enough. It's really helpful. First of all, I get a little notification when it happens. I get really happy. Second of all, it pushes us up the rankings in the iTunes store, and you definitely want us to be ranked above everyone else because you like us and you want what's best for us. And we want what's best for you, and we want this podcast to help you, so help us help you. The calling's produced by Crate All Red. Theme music by Leah Rosevere. Used under Creative Commons 4.0.
1: Everything he sings from the branch that he's sitting on it seems to hustle leaves and the colours all around now first he sings and then he goes And what it means is' hard to know Okay if you're still there I'll say it one more time Go to harbormedia.com slash donate and help us out. Mark Owens did some additional engineering on this episode. Our theme song is by Roman Candle. Special thanks to me. Cultivated will be back on Tuesday.